0: Do you enjoy our podcasts help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org you'll find some great merch there and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word, one verse at a time. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of our journey through the book of 1 Peter. In this episode, we're going to look at a concept that is very near and dear to all of us. It's a way of thinking, uh, a concept even an ideology that is most often attributed to the political sphere. But it didn't originally come from politics. That's not where it has its basis. It doesn't have its basis in earthly government. Even though there's many men and women throughout history who would probably take credit for this idea in full or in part, the idea that we're going to talk about today actually stems from God himself. It comes from his Mind. It comes from the way he views the world, from the way he rules the world. And it is actually an idea that is rooted in him and in his gift of salvation. And that idea is freedom. Now, if you live in one of the free countries in the world, then you have an understanding of what freedom means from a political ideology standpoint. It means the ability to conduct your life, your affairs, without interference or undue interference from governing authorities. But the reality is that is a very rudimentary view of freedom. The real freedom, the freedom that we find in the scriptures, the freedom that we find echoed in the work of Jesus Christ, is a far more robust freedom. It is a much deeper topic and has a much broader spectrum. And it is the true freedom. It is the real freedom. Man in a government structure will always end up with an incomplete version of freedom. Humankind can try to accomplish freedom. It can try all these different methods to make a free society the very best it possibly can be. But at the end of the day, this world is a fallen place. It is wrecked and ruined by sin. It is under the curse and it is going to be destroyed. And so, Nothing that man develops here on earth will ever even come close to the grand idea that stemmed from God's mind in the very beginning. And Peter, who throughout chapter 2 has continued to build on this idea of being fed spiritually and how taking the spiritual milk or the spiritual meat, depending on where you are in your walk of faith, this nourishment makes changes to the person. This spiritual food will grow up the believer into a mature believer. And it will change the way this believer lives. It will change everything about that person. And building on that in verse 16 of chapter 2, Peter actually addresses the way that believers are to live. And he addresses it this way. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And you can see right away how he is building more on the idea of being filled with the spiritual food. When we're filled with the spiritual food, we are set free from sin, set free from bondage by the work of Jesus Christ through salvation, and we are to live free, but we're to live as servants. So he gives the believer there a bit of a paradox. He says, you need to live as free people because you've been freed from the curse of sin, but you're not free to just live however you please. You are free to live as servants of God. So how can freedom exist hand in hand with servitude? Don't the two of them contradict each other? The answer is no. They don't contradict each other. And the reason for why they don't contradict one another is found in the gospel. It's found in God's word. It's found in the teachings of scripture. So in order to understand this, we have to first start with what is freedom really? Is freedom the ability to do anything that I want? Unrestricted access to whatever I choose to pursue? Is that truly freedom? Or is freedom something else? See, the pursuit of whatever I deem is perfect for me, irregardless of who lives around me or what's going on around me, actually leads to bondage. It leads to anarchy. It leads to a society and a life that no one can live. If I just take freedom and I use it to indulge in every desire of the moment, the consequences that I will face will be somewhat intense. Someone who indulges in every desire that they have, never saying no to themselves, never denying themselves their want for any reason, is going to very quickly run out of physical resources, injure themselves injure those people who are around them, they're going to hurt a lot of people, and they're going to probably cause a lot of problems in the area and the society in which they live. The way God created the world mandates that real freedom can only exist within a proper framework. Freedom is not the absence of law, because that would only lead to anarchy and just disarray. Freedom is the application of law in the right context, that empowers those who abide by that law to be free. In other words, if you want true freedom, you have to have guidelines which govern conduct so that everyone can enjoy the freedom that is provided by that framework. And when it comes to salvation, when it comes to being children of God, it changes that statement a little bit. It would sound more like this. Freedom is not the absence of divine law because that would lead to sin, chaos, and anarchy. Freedom is the application of the perfect divine law, which empowers those who are obedient to the law and to its creator to be truly free. See, when you're talking about living within the context of serving God, true freedom comes from actually following the laws of God, from serving God, from having a relationship with God. Because within that framework, a perfect God makes all things work together for good But if every person lives according to their own selfish desires, then nothing can work together for good. And Peter wants his churches and the Christians who would read his writings thousands of years later like we're doing to understand this. He wanted them to understand that freedom's not the absence of the necessity to obey God. It's rather the power to choose to obey God. It's the power to say, this is the proper way of living. See, when you're trapped in your own sin, when mankind is lost in the selfish pursuits of his heart, he's actually not free. He's in bondage. He's in bondage to self. He's in bondage to Satan. He's in bondage to the sinful desires of this world. But when God sets the sinner's heart free and replaces the dead heart with a living heart, then the believer is given the power to obey because they have a living heart And they are filled with the Holy Spirit, which will guide them and prompt them and convict them to live for God, to be obedient. And within the context of that framework, God gives his children immense freedom, true freedom. See, here's where humans get it wrong in the arrogance of our sinful self-centeredness. Humans will say, I don't need a law from God. I'm perfectly capable of governing myself. I can be the master of my own destiny. I don't have to live the way anybody tells me to. If I want to live this way or that way or some other way, whether it conforms to the society that I live in or the norms or history, it doesn't matter because I am a law unto myself. I am the master of my own destiny. And we all kind of like to think that. To some varying degree, we like to believe that we are in control. We like to believe that we have the power to carve out our own path in this world. But the reality is we are rather powerless to impact our own position. There's many things we can do to help ourselves, but we cannot control future events We cannot control the weather, we cannot control the events of the world around us that is filled with billions of other people who are also trying to live their own lives. Any one of a thousand things could happen to us at any moment of any day that is completely outside of our control. And so the reality is no matter how much humans delude themselves that they are free and masters of their own destiny, that simply just isn't true from a basic factual basis. It's simple enough for a human to say, I'm going to plan a trip to my favorite place and I'm going to buy airplane tickets and I'm going to fly around the world and I'm going to stay there for a week. But we ultimately can't control whether the plane will make it there or whether any one of a thousand other things will prevent us from accomplishing our goal. And the truth of this reality forces us to accept a very uncomfortable yet very true statement. In order for one to be truly free, a being to be truly free, That being must be so powerful that it could control every aspect of its own life, as well as every aspect of every life around it, to ensure that none of its plans ever go awry in any way, shape, or form. It would need to be able to control natural events, catastrophic events, historical events, interpersonal events. It would have to ensure that it could bend every will in the entire world to conform to its own will. Otherwise, the will of any other entity could pose a threat to that being's freedom. And God makes this exact statement, but in a far more eloquent way, in Job chapter 40, verse 9, when he challenges Job, who is a little bit complaining at this point of the chapter that he doesn't like the way things have gone in his life in recent days, and he spends a little while complaining against God, and God appears to him and says this. He says, He says, have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And if you're catching a hint of sarcasm in God's words, you're right. He is being a little bit sarcastic with Job there. He's essentially saying to Job, listen, can you deal out death and judgment? Can you take the wicked and destroy their kingdoms? Can you bury them in the sand? In other words, can you take their life from them supernaturally? Can you judge them into the afterlife? Because if you can't do that, if you can't judge others with an eternal basis and you don't have such a powerful arm, a powerful hand that you can override every event that's negative and completely insulate yourself from having anything go wrong in your life, unless you can do those things, then you're not God. You're not me. You're still subject to an authority greater than you. You're subject to happenstance that's greater than you. And so unless you can do all those things... I will not acknowledge that you can save yourself. And Job's response a few chapters later when God finishes this monologue is absolutely telling for the purpose of this verse that we're looking at in Peter here. Job replies to the Lord at the end of all this and he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Job's like, God, I get it. You're the only one who has that kind of power. You're the only one who is truly free to make unilateral decisions that stick because you have the power to make them happen. And I am simply a humble human being. I do not have the power to affect my own freedom. And Peter, writing to his beloved followers in this letter. Followers who are living in a situation where they are most certainly not free. In fact, they are being pummeled by persecution. The lives they are living are distinctly the opposite of free at this point in terms of their national identity under the government that rules their everyday. Peter wants them to understand that the truest form of freedom comes from fulfilling one's purpose. You see, Peter understood Genesis 1. Where God created the whole world and he made Adam and Eve in his own image. He made them for relationship with himself. He made them to be people who would fellowship with God, who would serve God and worship God and love God and be with him. See, that was the purpose that man and woman were created. They were created because God wanted to fellowship with humans. God wanted to be in their company. It's not that he needed humans. This was his desire. In fact, the people who are saved through the work of Jesus Christ, Jesus refers to those people, to us, who believe as his inheritance. We're his treasure, his prized possession. He refers to us as his bride. God wants to have relationship with us, and he created us to have relationship with him and to serve him. Paul would go even further and would refer to himself as a slave of God. In Romans 6.22, Paul says it this way, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. He would also say in 1 Corinthians 7.12, for he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Now, Paul was a little bit confusing in the way he wrote. You have to read his his writings quite carefully. And he's kind of doing a word play in this verse. He's saying, listen, those of you who were called when God called you, you were in bondage to sin and death. And he made you a freed man unto the Lord. But those of you who were free to practice the evil that you wanted seemingly free, that's a play on words, free to do what you wanted but you were in bondage to sin actually, once you're called as a freed man of Christ, you're now made a bondservant of Christ. And this might seem like a really confusing paradox, but it's not. And James clarifies that for us in James chapter 1 when he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. The simplest way I can kind of bring this together is to make an analogy to when I was a child. When I lived in my home, I was not free to just behave however I wanted. There were rules in our house. There were important rules and minor rules. There were big rules and little rules. There were rules that if you broke, you just got a look from mom. There were rules that if you broke, you got in big, big trouble. But was I a slave? No. I was living inside a framework that empowered me to be free in the truest sense because it kept me within a framework of freedom. It kept me from doing things that were wrong. It encouraged me to do things that were right. And as a result of doing things that were right, being obedient. I was blessed to be a part of a family, to have parents that cared about me and took care of me. I experienced many blessings while living in my house. Sure, I was under their authority, but I was anything but a slave. Peter, Paul, and James, and the other apostles who mention this idea elsewhere in the New Testament were merely taking this concept to its fullest extent in light of who Jesus is, of who God is. You see, when you're set free by someone you owe them something. In the case of humanity, when Jesus has given his life for our salvation and he has paid our debt, our sin, he has purchased us with his blood, we owe him something. When he sets us free, we're not free to just run amuck however we choose. We are now his. And we're not his in the negative sense of the word. We're his in the most positive sense of the word. He purchased us because of his great love for us. And so when Paul talks about being a slave to Christ, when Peter talks about being servants of God, servants of Jesus Christ, they are speaking of a master-servant relationship built on the deepest form of love that could ever be known. They are talking about a master-servant relationship where God himself in all his righteousness, holiness, and goodness is the most benevolent master that could ever exist, who gives those who are his servants liberally and generously out of his abundance. He has accomplished freedom. He has true freedom because he has the power to be truly free. And through the framework of his love, his law, and his sacrifice for us, He gives us that freedom and the framework under which we can attain the greatest form of it. And that comes in the form of relationship with him. A love relationship where we live with him ultimately in the new earth, where we serve him, where we worship him, and where we are his people and he is our God forever. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train ministry leaders to bring the gospel to all people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.